Hello, and welcome to MGMA Small Talk, where we discuss issues facing practice administrators across the healthcare world. I'm Shannon Geis, staff writer and editor at MGMA, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Tomasulo, who founded Peak Med Primary Care with the goal of redefining access and decreasing healthcare costs. Prior to being the president and chief medical officer of Peak Med, Mark served as the U.S. Army Regional Medical Director for Aviation Medicine, as a U.S. Army Family Physician and ICU Hospitalist, Associate Medical Director for Colorado Urgent Care Associates, and Medical Director of Forward Operating Clinics during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Mark is here with us today to talk about direct primary care and how he's working to redefine how patients access primary care. Welcome, Mark. Thanks. Nice being here. First, can you just sort of explain what direct primary care is and um, how this is different uh, from a traditional um, sort of setup? Sure, absolutely. So um, direct primary care um, in and of itself is is a platform of uh, primary care that functions outside of the insurance world. So uh, we don't do uh, fee-for-service appointments, meaning that the, the doctors inside of a direct primary care practice, we don't bill insurance companies, we don't get reimbursement by insurance companies, um, so it, it allows us to function and operate in a much different platform than the current environment. Um, to give you a little bit of uh, just quick background on on primary care and, and why we went into uh, direct primary care and why I founded uh, Peak Med, it really bases um, the, the issues around the economics of primary care. So currently in our system, I feel like there's two fundamental problems in, in healthcare. Uh, one is the cost that's associated with going to see your doctor, and then the other is access that's associated with seeing your doctor. In a current insurance-based family medicine practice, it's all driven by productivity and volume. So essentially over the last maybe 10 years, the reimbursement rates for primary care have really not kept up with inflation. So the only way that a primary care practice can maintain its viability is to increase the number of patients it sees on a daily basis. So if 10 years ago we were seeing 15 patients a day and it made economic sense and everybody was was doing well and patients were getting taken care of and they had access to their doctor, um, over the last 10 years we've had to go from seeing 15 patients a day to 25 patients a day to 30 patients a day to where now um, trying to get into your physician because they're seeing 30 patients a day becomes a real problem. So there's no access to your doctor. So you call your physician, you try to schedule an appointment because you have a sore throat, they can't see you for a week, and you're not going to wait a week. So instead of going to your primary care doctor, you now go to the urgent care. And the economics in an urgent care are much better than in a primary care setting. So what I would see you in the clinic for as a sore throat, maybe you get $80 from the insurance company. If you're seen in an urgent care, now you get maybe three or $400. Um, so why would anybody want to open up a primary care clinic in today's environment knowing that I can make three times the amount of money in an urgent care if, if I owned urgent cares? Well, the problem is, is that it just doesn't create a very good platform for practicing health care, um, let alone preventative medicine or chronic disease managements. You know, your urgent care is not taking care of your diabetes. They're going to take care of your sore throat and then tell you to follow up with your doctor, who ironically you can't get into. Um, so direct primary care was really founded in the platform of saying enough is enough. This is about doctors 
um, and really putting doctors back into the driver's seat of healthcare and doing it in an economic environment that makes sense for the physician and the patient. And therefore, direct primary care was spawned. Um, Peak Med a couple of years ago, and essentially what we're able to do now is think of it as a gym membership. Uh, the patients pay the practice directly on a monthly basis. Um, you're seen as much as you possibly want to be seen inside of that clinic. There's no co-pays. There's unlimited visits. Um, because the patient panels for the doctor are so small, we only see about five to six patients a day on average, so it allows us to uh, spend a lot of time with our patients. If the patient calls today and needs to be seen today, the likelihood of you coming in is really high. And because we no longer have to bring you into the clinic for the purposes of billing your insurance company, we can now start to leverage technology. So using text messages and emails and phone calls. And, and so you'd be surprised how many things can be avoided by coming to the doctor just by talking to your doctor on the phone or texting him. And, and that's what direct primary care allows us to do. And it, it empowers the physicians um, to have autonomy again and actually practice medicine in a very human way. Um, where we're not seeing 30 patients a day. Can you maybe give us a little bit of an example of what that looks like here specifically? So um, what is what um, what does a typical patient look like? What is that process? Um, yeah, absolutely. So we we um, we realize that there are uh, two points that we're trying to fix in the healthcare space, which is the access and the cost that's associated with it. Um, the Affordable Care Act really pushed a lot of people into a direction of paying more for their insurance and getting less benefits out of it. So the patients that truly take advantage of our um, clinics um, are patients that one can't afford the health care premiums, um, so they don't have health insurance and they still have health care issues, so we take care of them because we don't care about insurance anymore. There are the patients that live in a high deductible plan and choose not to go to the doctor because every time they go to the doctor, it's another $200 out of their pocket. So we have a very low monthly cost. Um, so we're a, in, we're a very good complement to a high deductible plan. And then there are the um, large or small employer groups that pay for our services for their employees and their employees get the benefit of what we're doing. Um, and then there's the Medicaid and the Medicare patients. We see them all. So we have Medicaid patients that actually pay for our services because they can't have access to their Medicaid doctors. And then the Medicare uh, patients, it's the same scenario. Everybody has access issues to their primary care doctor, and we're trying to solve that equation. But more importantly, we're trying to put uh, priorities on physician satisfaction, not patient satisfaction. You know, patient satisfaction is truly a byproduct. If your doctors aren't happy, I guarantee you your patients aren't going to be happy. So we have to create a platform that allows a physician to feel like they're appreciated and to feel like they're part of a solution and to feel like they're not um, a person on a factory line and they have autonomy. So when you take a physician and you allow them to spend an hour with a patient because it's their choosing, um, the physicians are ecstatic when the fact that productivity is a four-letter word in our environment um, it makes them smile because they know it doesn't matter if they see zero patients today or five patients today the reimbursement rates are the same so um, patient satisfaction is a byproduct if we can't make a patient happy because you called your doctor today you were seen today 
if your appointment was at 10 o'clock, you were literally seen at 10 o'clock, so there is no waiting, um, and you spend an hour with your doctor, if we can't make a patient happy after that, that's okay. We can't make everybody happy, but our priority is to, um, is to really put the profession of healthcare back in the hands of the doctors, mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing very well. That's interesting. Um, so you talked really briefly um, about employer-paid programs, and I think that's really interesting, um, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that works um, for you guys, how you're working with employers to provide this service. Sure. So um, it's in a couple of different buckets, to be honest. There are small employer groups that don't meet the mandates of having to give benefits to their employees because they're just not large enough. But ironically, employers, they want to do the right thing by their employees, and they're competing in the same space as these large employers. So they need to have something to be able to offer their employees as an incentive or a package. So for those small employer groups that don't have $1,000 a month to spend on an insurance plan, um, they can pay for their employees to be part of our practice, and it's an exceptionally small cost. Um, And so they're allowed to, they create their own benefit plan using us as their health service. That's the small employer group. The large employer groups that have you know, 500 employees, 1,000 employees, 100 employees that are mandated by the ACA. We're actually doing some tremendous work inside of the healthcare space where um, because we're taking better care of our patients, because we're managing diseases much more efficiently, because we're eliminating the urgent care use, and because we're decreasing the ER visits to truly life-limit eyesight, um, we're saving a tremendous amount of money for the employers and they're recognizing that and the insurance companies are recognizing that to the extent that they are now working with us and giving clients that we work with discounts on premiums if they're affiliated with our practices because they know we take better care of them the employers love it because this is one of the best benefits that you can give your employee it's health care um, health insurance it's there to keep you out of financial bankruptcy, um, but it is not there anymore to provide you health care. This is health care, what we're doing, and, and uh, employers are recognizing that, insurance carriers are recognizing that, and we're doing some tremendous work right now um, to fix those two areas. Mm-hmm. Are there any um, struggles or obstacles that you guys have faced in, in implementing this kind of model? Yeah, absolutely. The... Uh, you know, the struggles are where we are trying to redefine an industry that is so dysfunctional right now, um, and you have a lot of skeptical uh, people in the environment of healthcare. Um, we're f- constantly um, fighting the preconceived notions of what healthcare looks like and the costs that are associated with it. So, trying to educate educate patients and individuals and employers and insurance carriers that there's a a new way to do this. There's a better way of doing this, and it's a cheaper way of doing this. And um, that's a battle that we're constantly fighting, to be honest with you. Educating an entire population on um, how to do something different is an it's it's a challenge, but it's it's actually a fun challenge. It's a phenomenal time to be in healthcare right now because the 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 problems are so large that there's so many things to tackle, and it's it's reinvigorating as a physician to be part of that solution and change and um, and help pave a new path for primary care. Um, some of the other challenges that we have are, you know, 
under helping these insurance carriers understand what the value of what we're doing are and uh, and being able to validate that and quantify it um, when you compare apples to apples on a fee-for-service environment and what we're doing. And it's taken us a lot of time to develop the technology and develop the analytics to quantify what we're doing to show that we're not just taking better care of patients, um, but we're saving a tremendous amount of money in the healthcare space. And um, that's a challenge. And we're, we're doing a good job. We can always do better. Um, but those are the challenges that we face right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, issues? So you're providing basically primary care um, for, for patients that might need um, specialists or, or uh, specific kinds of care. Do you have any issues with referring or um, dealing with other specialist practices? Sure. So the, um, the greatest thing about direct primary care um, when it comes to specialty care is I would venture to say when, you know, right now um, a physician in a typical fee-for-service practice where they're seeing 25 or 30 patients a day, um, they're limited by the amount of time they get to spend with their patients. And in doing so, you start triaging patients um, from a defensive posture a lot of times. So you overutilize specialists for the purposes of convenience and for the purposes of maybe defensive medicine. Whereas if the physician truly had um, time to manage that really um, complicated patient that has multiple disease states, the likelihood of needing to refer that patient out is really small to begin with, when you give a physician the platform to actually practice medicine the way that they were trained. I mean, listen, we went to school for, you know, eight years and then three more years of residency before we can really even say we could practice medicine. So we have 11 years worth of training that we don't really get to utilize because of only being able to spend five minutes with a patient. When you can spend an hour and really manage somebody, you can eliminate those, uh, specialty visits. Inside of our practice, we know we're going to need them, but it's awesome because we now we can use technology. So we have the capabilities to, um, from a technology standpoint, consult a physician in a specialty area, and now it's a doctor-to-doctor conversation. We like to say that the, um, the referrals to specialists are for the benefit of the doctor as much as they are as a benefit to the patient. The reason that a doctor refers to a specialist is because they've kind of reached the top of their license. They don't feel comfortable anymore managing that process, and it's time to hand them off to the next doctor. If we can create a platform that allows our doctors to learn from that patient, learn from the specialist, and engage the doctor directly on behalf of the patient so we can navigate your care for you, we're able to do that through a technology platform. What would normally take maybe a month or two to refer a patient to a specialist takes us about 12 hours, and we don't even charge for it. The patient doesn't pay for it. Um, We don't bill insurance for it. It's a service that we pay for because I feel like it's a benefit for our doctors. And if we ever do need to refer to a specialist, then we flip back over to the fee-for-service world. I'm going to refer you to the orthopedist. He's going to see you, and he's going to bill your insurance company, and... There's nothing different about that. Um, So we utilize referrals in a much different way. And more importantly, um, we utilize them when they're absolutely needed, not just for this, not for the purposes of convenience. Do you feel like then you are, your doctors are able to 
um, come back to that patient after they maybe come back from the specialist um, and work with them. So this is the interesting part is that we are, uh, we're the quarterback in that whole process. So when we're referring you to a specialist, we are the ones that are talking to the specialist directly. So I'm talking to the specialist telling him, hey, I'm going to send uh, Stephen over to you, and this is why I'm sending Stephen over to you. What do you think we should be doing? The specialist is then going to communicate back to the doctor, and now the doctor is navigating your care. The last thing we want to do is to give you a referral, have the patient go to the specialist, and then have the patient interpret what happened and bring that back to us and hope that he gets everything right. We want to be able to communicate directly with the specialist as doctors, one, so we can learn from it, and two, so we can navigate everything else that's going on with that patient. You know, likelihood of the specialist, um, you know, the likelihood of the patient only needing advice from the specialist is really, really small. The specialist is there to do something to you. If I'm sending you to an orthopedist, I guarantee you the only reason you're being sent to an orthopedist in our practice is because the orthopedist is going to cut you. And I guarantee you the orthopedist doesn't want to see you unless he has the potential of cutting you. That's the truth. We want to avoid that if possible. Um, but if it happens, we want to be the first person to know about it. So it's, it's your doctor, your family physician. It's their job to make sure that we're navigating the medical space on your behalf. And because we only see, you know, five or six patients a day, we have plenty of time to do that for you. And that's the benefit um, that our practice is able to establish for our patients. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to a practice that, a primary care practice that is considering this, but is nervous about, you know, the idea of cutting themselves off from insurance or, or really making this big switch? You definitely have to have the pros and cons of both sides of the equation. Um, there are lots of different ways to go about opening up a DPC practice. There are hybrid models to where you have part fee-for-service, part DPC, because you're trying to make the switch. Um, that's a very, very complicated world to live in, if you can imagine trying to see both patients at the same time, and it's, it's a very messy platform. Um, for a physician that's really interested in looking at a DPC, a true DPC um, platform, you almost have to rip the Band-Aid off and make that decision. You're going to do one or the other for the most part. Um, that's the purest way of doing it. But it comes with risk. You have to understand what that looks like. You have to be financially secure enough to know that um, you can uh, weather the storm long enough until you have enough patients in your practice to pay its overhead and its bills. Um, you have to prepare for those things, have a good financial model, a good pro forma, a good business plan um, that's associated with changing a practice. Um, educate yourselves. Get informed. Call me. I mean, I'm a physician. I'm here to advocate for other doctors, and I've helped multiple practices open DPC practices that are not branded in our brand because um, my goal in whole is to help physicians capture control of our industry um, and advocate for doctors and create a platform in primary care that allows a physician to practice for the next 50 years uh, to incentivize young physicians to stay in primary care and more importantly to uh, show medical students that there is a better way to practice primary care and it's really really cool to be a jack of you know a jack of all trades and a master of none um, as a family physician um, 
and more importantly, that you could see less patients and get paid more inside of this platform if it's done properly. Do you think um, this is this model is going to become a, a much more prevalent in the next few years, or what do you see, um, or do you see anything else that's coming in um, model-wise that that might also be uh, taking hold? Sure. I mean, you know, DPC has been around for quite some time. Concierge medicine has been around for you know, fifty years. Um, that's not a new concept. The DPC um, platform. Uh, five years ago is a much different landscape than it is today. Five years ago, there might have been a couple of hundred practices uh, across the country. Today, I believe there's probably three to 4,000 practices across the country. These are small practices for the most part. Um, it is truly the better way for primary care, and I believe it is the solution in terms of primary care to fix our system um, there is a lot of traction in the direct primary care space right now, and a lot of people are looking at it. A lot of people, meaning uh, insurance carriers, are looking at this. Uh, large companies are looking at this. Uh, large health systems are looking at this because they truly know that a primary care fee-for-service platform has to change. The problem is these big health systems and the big insurance carriers, they don't know how to do it. And they don't move very well. It's like a big gorilla. You know, they can only move so fast. When you're small, um, you can be extremely nimble. And the greatest thing about um, being independent is we could try something and totally screw it up and then change within the same conversation. Um, exceptionally nimble. Um, take chances and take risks to try to improve something and then learn from that and be able to adjust exceptionally fast. It's an awesome place to live right now. And um, so I think that there's a tremendous amount of traction inside of this space. Um, and we just need to make sure that we're uh, capitalizing on the ability to, to start um, providing some insight to uh, companies and uh, employer groups and insurance carriers and hospital facilities so we don't end up back where we started. It's mm -hmm. great. Um, we've covered a lot. Um, and so it is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? I think at the end of the day, this is about fixing um, a, a system that is exceptionally dysfunctional. Uh, the nice thing about what we're doing is it doesn't take a very long conversation uh, for people to understand how screwed up the healthcare system is today. Um, and on the same, uh, in the same conversation, um, because it's so screwed up, you don't have to have this massive improvement to show value. It's, you know, the threshold is small because you don't have to do something exceptionally well um, to restructure an entire industry to make an impact right now. It's that screwed up. So what we want to really be able to do is um, help lay the groundwork for what it should be, um, show a platform for how we're doing it, and more importantly, let people learn from what we've uh, made mistakes on and, and what we're doing moving forward. And um, I'd love to be a resource if anybody has any questions or issues, concerns. Um, love to answer any questions and continue the, the conversation because this is how we're going to help and change the system. Great. Well, thank you, Mark, for taking the time to talk. To learn more about Dr. Tomasulo's practice, Peak Med, and for more information on direct primary care, check out our episode page at mgma.org slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.